scriptures. Let's look together this morning at Philippians chapter 4. This morning we're going to look at verses 10 through 13, and you'll notice that uh, maybe by the end that uh, there are lots of things I'm going to leave out of this section this morning. We're going to come back to it next week. So just in case you think, well, wow, he didn't really talk about everything there. I know. I'm going to come back to it next week. But as you're turning there, I also want to tell you this. Um, you, might, you might notice over the next number of weeks that our, our music and stuff is stripped down a little bit more than it has normally been. Um, I want to tell you that don't forget that when Robbie Quinn said that he would take on music, our music to be our music leader, that that was an interim position. Like we're now more than two years in to Robbie being the interim. Remember that? And so we also have been blessed on one hand with lots of musical ability in our church. And so we're trying to not only give Robbie a break, but we're also recognizing that there are others in our midst who can help lead, like Byron, like John Paul, like some others. And so over the next few weeks and months, just realize things might be a little bit different. And it's not just to give Robbie a little bit of a break. It's not only so that other people can help us in, as we sing and worship together, but it's also because we are in need of more volunteers. And if you're interested in helping out with singing or playing an instrument or in particular helping out in the, in the penalty box, as we refer to it as, not really, but the sound booth, um, we need help there. And so this getting smaller and being more stripped down on uh, during worship enables us to work on our sound. It enables us to work on lots of things. So just think about that, pray about that, and if you're able to help, we sure could, could use the help. So just know that. So if we leave from the piano some weeks, that's good. That's good. So just wanted to explain that to you a little bit. I'll probably say something similar to that next week so that those that aren't here this week will hear that. All right, but we are here not only to worship, but in particular to sit under God's word. So let's hear these words together from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. This is God's word. This really is God's word. It comes from him. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we read in your word that one of your promises to us is that your plans are to prosper us. Your plans for us are for good. And Lord, we are learning over the years that what it means when you prosper us, what it means that your plans are good, is that we look a whole lot more like the Lord Jesus. Your plans to prosper us mean that you are absolutely committed to making Christ larger and larger in our lives. So Lord, I ask that you would please give us soft hearts. 
Convince us that your plans are for good. Convince us that that means that we need to be more like Christ. Convince us that we need to sit under you with soft, pliable hearts. So Holy Spirit, take the truth of your word and bring it to bear on us that we might be changed people, equipped and ready for life this week. We pray this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your glory and our good. Amen. In my few years of being in ministry, no one has ever come into my office grieving over their abundance of contentment. No one has ever just busted down my door and come in and sat down in the chair and said, Dave, things would be so much better if I weren't so content. Never happened. So I want you to understand as we look at this section this morning, I want you to know that my working assumption is that we all struggle with contentment. All of us. We always struggle with contentment. So then let's explore. Let's explore together what discontentment looks like and what it is. The first thing to think about when we explore discontentment is this. Maybe it's obvious to you. We all think that we know what will bring us contentment. We all think we know what will bring contentment. And here's a starting point. We think that control and predictability and looking, at, looking back at our accomplishments bring us contentment. Isn't that true? When you think about controlling your life, what, what we think of is this. What I think of is this. If I can control my time so that I can be on my schedule, contentment will come. You ever notice how that gets blown apart every week? We also think that we can control not just our time, but our family and our relationships. As if to say, if I can just control all of this, if I can control my family and control my relationships, contentment will result. That has yet to happen for me either. We also think if we can control in the sense of minimizing damage in my life. I mean, I know it's coming. But if I can minimize the damage, then I will feel a sense of contentment. But it's not only control, it's also predictability. You see, if I can predict what people are going to say, if I can predict what people are going to do, if I can actually somehow, in a limited way, predict the future, I can derive an enormous amount of contentment from that. And if I could just do that all the time, I would be the most content person in the world. And maybe it's also looking back at our accomplishments. You know, when you get to certain points in your life, you begin to look back. And you begin to think about everything that has happened in your life. And at times we can derive, or we think we can derive, ultimate contentment from thinking, you know what, as I look back over my life, I've done the best I could. Things weren't as bad as they could have been. And we somehow think that we can derive ultimate contentment from that. The truth is, is that moments of contentment are almost like flashes of peace that we experience. That's an awful lot what contentment looks like in our lives. We just have these moments where peace just flashes in front of us. And it's almost like those moments usually occur with our toes in the sand facing the water doing nothing. 
right? Now, don't write that off as if you're not a beach person. Pick your scenario. Pick your location. Oftentimes we think if we could just be there, wherever that is, that everything would be peaceful and glorious and we would have contentment. We would be content. And I also know this. Perhaps there are some of you here today in which contentment and the possibility of contentment is not even a thought. Like you've come here this morning and you've assumed, you know what, you've accepted. You've accepted the fact that you would never be content. So you've actually decided to become content with your discontentment, you see? So some of you may be here this morning and think to yourself, I will never be content and I am just fine with that. I'm content with being discontent. Maybe that's why your temper is so out of check. Maybe that's why your fuse is so short. Maybe that's why you don't have to scratch below the surface very much before the anger comes out. You see, what the Apostle Paul does in these verses is that he actually gives us two life situations that discover, that uncover, whatever you want to say, he gives us two life situations that generally expose how discontent we are. And he repeats it over and over and over. Listen to verse 12. Excuse me. Now we'll, we'll read verse 11 too. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Listen to this. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, he's laying out two situations for us. He's saying these are two situations that have a tendency to reveal how discontent we actually are. The first one is when we have abundance. You know that there are some people that live their lives and their dreams actually come true. You know that? Like they have these dreams about what they hope life could be, and not only do they get their dream, they get their wildest dream. All of their dreams come true. And you know what happens when you get, typically what happens when you get your wildest dreams, when your wildest dream becomes true? You know what typically happens? You realize you haven't changed. And you're still discontent. For those of you that love sports, remember the interview a number of years ago with Tom Brady, you know, this year's past, this past year's Super Bowl champion? Remember the interview with him after he won his third, I think it was his third, uh, Super Bowl? You know, the, the guy's interviewing me and saying, okay, Tom, you won three Super Bowls, you've married the supermodel, and you've signed the multi-million dollar contract to where you're making whatever it is, Tens of millions of dollars a year. What next? I'm paraphrasing. And Tom Brady says, I wish I knew. Well, what do you think it is? I, I don't know. I wish I knew. There's just, there just has, Tom says, there just has to be something more. There just has to be something more. Those of you that love music, I was watching this week an interview with Lady Gaga. Do you all know her? You've heard of her before? She can really sing. I mean that. She can really, really sing. 
she was doing a tribute to Carole King. Those of you that are older probably know Carole King a little bit. You remember how many songs she's written? Prolific songwriter. Lady Gaga was at a tribute for Carole King where Carole King was in the audience. And Lady Gaga was singing one of Carole's songs, You've Got a Friend. And Lady Gaga's comment on that is, I don't want to face the world. So what I do is I go into my room and I shut the doors. And Carol, I crank up your song as loud as I can because when I don't want to face the world, which she said is all the time, when I don't want to face the world, I listen to your song. And in that moment, I feel like there's somebody out there that cares. I feel like I have a friend. Those of you that know Madonna, another wildly successful artist, if you read her biography, you know what you find out about her. That she is so driven. And you know what drives her? The fear of being mediocre. You see, you can be on top of the world, humanly speaking. Whether it's sports, whether it's artists, whatever it is, you can take the most successful person you could ever imagine marries the supermodel, wins the Super Bowls, has tens of millions of dollars, writes songs, sings in front of 100,000 plus people all over the world, and what you will find is that their wildest dream has come true, and they still are not content. You see, Paul's telling us that that life situation oftentimes uncovers the fact that we are not content. The other situation, as you might imagine, is when the dreams that we have are dashed. The dreams that we want fade away because of some horrific catastrophe. Some of you have experienced some of these and some of you have not. Again, to use another sports analogy, remember a couple years ago there was a basketball player that played for Baylor. He was a terrific talent. He was expected to be picked, if I'm not mistaken, in the top ten of the NBA draft. And you see, when you pursue that career and you pursue getting drafted in the NBA, what happens is you go to different teams and you try out, and they assess you not only physically but emotionally and mentally. And what they found out is that this player, Isaiah Austin, had this very rare, exceedingly rare disease and he was no longer able to play basketball again. This guy left school, projected to be one of the top ten picks in the NBA draft. He had spent his entire life getting to this point. And in an instant, he found out that he has this disease and he can't play basketball anymore. And then, there's those of us who have friends who have contracted diseases that we hope we never get. And they're young, and they have little ones. And in an instant, everything that you think God has put them here on this earth for, is all of a sudden, they're gone. You know what it's like to have friends that contract some disease or something, and it's not long before they're gone. You see, the Apostle Paul is telling us that you can have everything that you could ever dream of getting and more and be profoundly discontent. 
And you can have all kinds of hopes, and through some catastrophe, all of those hopes are absolutely dashed, and you might be looking at an early exit from this world. And that as well, that situation, that life situation as well, will reveal how discontent we are. And the Apostle Paul is not theorizing here. The Apostle Paul is not theorizing about something that he hopes that we buy into. He's writing this out of his own experience. You understand that, right? The Apostle Paul has preached before thousands of people before. And the Apostle Paul has also preached to a few people in a house. He's preached to thousands. And he's preached to a few people in the house in which someone who is at the house, sitting on a window, fell asleep and fell out of the house and died. Now that may not mean a lot to you, but let me tell you, that terrifies me. I mean, you understand that for some pastors, preaching in front of thousands of people could be a goal. Not mine, but it could be a goal. And you also know the fear of putting people to sleep. Well, in the Apostle Paul's case, this guy died. He knows what it's like to preach to thousands, and he he knows what it's like to preach to someone. They fall asleep and they die. The Apostle Paul has had the opportunity to deal with face-to-face the most powerful people in the world. And the Apostle Paul writes us this letter from prison. You see, he knows how to have an overabundance. He knows how to have more than plenty. And he knows how to have nothing. And just so I don't leave anybody out, those of you that are young, college age and a little bit beyond, yes, you struggle with this as well. But you know what? What's really going on and why you struggle with all this, let me try to explain this to you as best I can. And let me just say, this is a a starting point, a suggested starting point. Do not hear this as if I know everything about your life and everything that's going on, because I don't. But I know the message that you're hearing, and that's what I want to talk about. You see, those of you that are young, college age and a little bit older, those of you that are young have heard that you are amazing. What you've heard is that you are fantastic. What you've heard is that you are going to get anything you want, that if you just follow your dreams, you just follow your dreams and stay the course, and you are going to change the world. But what I've noticed is is that as much as you've heard that, as much as you've heard that you can change the world and you can find your dreams, you you know what I've noticed? What I've noticed is you are horrifically afraid of missing out on anything. You know YOLO? You only live once? You know that? You see, it's like everybody's told you that you're amazing and that you're going to have everything you want, and at the same time, you're afraid of missing out on anything. And so you struggle to commit, and you struggle to know what to do with your life. Because here's what's happened. People have fed you. The wor- what you hear in this world, what you have heard is this is a strong message. You have heard that you're amazing and you can do anything you want and you can change the world. And they have put praise on top of all of your discontent. 
They haven't addressed any, that message hasn't addressed any of your discontent. And so you see, when you put praise on top of discontent, you know what that looks like in your life? Confusion. It looks like failure to want to commit. It looks like a fear of wanting to commit. You see, you've been praised, and perhaps some of that is true. But there is so much underneath that you're just full of discontent, like the rest of us. That's why life is so hard in figuring out what you want. Because you realize pretty quickly that you've heard, you've heard it so much, you'll get your dreams, but you've experienced it so quickly that you haven't. And you're not even sure you can. You get tired of believing in that dream. But you realize how discontent you are. You see, it hits every single one of us. And it's all because, the reason why it hits every single one of us is because we all have very, very deep longings. We all have deep longings. Every one of us. And sin exposes and illustrates all of those deep longings. Sin exposes all of those longings. You see, what sin shows us is that discontent is underneath all of our sin. Discontent is underneath all of our sin. You know all the pleasure that you seek, usually via sex? All that pleasure you seek, the addiction that you struggle with, all the pleasure that you seek will never, ever give you the soul pleasure that you really really need you're addicted to pleasure and you want pleasure but no matter how much you're addicted no matter how addicted you are no matter how many times that pleasure can't reach your soul you see for those of you and for those of us that struggle with men's approval we want people to like us we want people to approve of what we're doing but you see all that approval can't even begin to touch God's approval. You know, the one that you get through the gospel, the one that when you entrust yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one in which you believe in Him and God says you're forgiven and not guilty and righteous, yeah, you'll never ever find that approval through mankind. But you see, you have this deep longing for approval. But all the man's approval will never give you God's approval. You know, if you just had that love, if you could just find that love, if you could just get this love from that person or these people or this situation. But you see, you have a longing. You long to be loved. Well, the truth is, what's underneath that is that you need the unconditional love of God. And you'll never find that in human beings. You'll never find it. You will never meet a human being who will perfectly, consistently love you unconditionally. It will not happen. You see, the longing is there. Your sin is being exposed that you need God's unconditional love. You know, all those year-end reviews 
you know, when you get your job reviews and those moments where, if you'll pardon my language, you just want to kill it. You just want to kill those reviews. You just want to knock it out of the park on your job reviews. You want to knock it out of the park on your job review because you want to know that you matter. You want to know that your life means something. But you see, what's underneath all of that is that the longing that you have can only be fulfilled in the fact that you are created in the image of God. You will never ultimately find that you matter and your life means something until you understand how and why God made you. Mattering is not tied to what you accomplish or what you do. It's tied to who you are. You see, there are longings underneath all of our sin. And they point to us how discontent we are. They point out how broken we are. They point out how much we need the Lord Jesus. One man put it this way. You see, our sin struggle is that we want something from this world that's actually greater than this world. You see? The love, the fact that you matter, everything else points you to something greater. You can't find those things in this world. You need them in God, in Christ, in the Gospel. We need all of these in the Gospel. That's where we find all of our deepest longings are met. So the Apostle Paul encourages us to find contentment, you see. He's writing about contentment because he's assuming that we all struggle with contentment. So he's encouraging us to find it. And the only way to find real joy and real contentment, the only way is for all of us to admit how unhappy and discontent we are. You'll never find it. You'll never find contentment until you begin to admit how discontented you are. You see, the truth is that most of us live lives in which we never get our wildest dreams and our dreams are not dashed by some catastrophe. Most of us live in the middle. And so therefore, the illusion that we're discontent hangs on longer and longer and longer. Because you see, in those acute moments when you get everything you want or you lose everything you want, you immediately begin to realize, oh yes, I am discontent. But when you live in the middle, when you're not getting your dreams and you haven't lost everything, when you're living in the middle, we have a tendency to hang on to our discontentedness more. It's masked. I know it's true. The older we get, the more of a tendency and a temptation we have to be cynical. It's true. So there's a sense in which age also exposes our discontent. But you see, the only way forward, the only way out of discontent is to admit how unhappy and discontent we are. Because when we begin to do that, what we begin to understand is the message of the gospel. You see, the message of the gospel is not so much make a big pile of all your bad things. Remember what this used to look like? It used to look like a big pile of all of your music and books and everything else. And you used to make a big pile of that stuff and then like set it on fire. Remember that? 
See, the message of the gospel is not so much make a big pile of your bad stuff as it is that you recognize that all of your good stuff is the big pile. You see? Before we used to think, well, here it is. I make a big pile of my bad stuff, and this is what I do with it. I burn it. I start over. I reinvent myself, and I am determined to go forward in this, and I am committed to uh, this brand new destiny that I have, and I'm leaving all this behind. I've burned it, and I'm reinventing myself and moving forward. But you see, that's not the way it is. The gospel is actually telling you and communicating over and over that you actually live every day with this present power from a future glory. You're not trying to reinvent yourself. You've been found in Christ and you are a part of God's story. And so every day, you have a present power from a future glory. You're not trying to reinvent yourself. You're not looking back to that big pile of bad stuff. You're trying to realize that it's not just bad stuff why you need Jesus. It's because of all of the good stuff that's also a pile. And what that means is, what that means is that the gospel is not that you're striving with great effort because you're trying to keep God's favor or you're trying to earn God's favor. Do you see how it all fits? You make a big pile of your bad stuff and then you burn it and you reinvent yourself and you stay committed and then you just get on with living and doing everything that God tells you you're supposed to do and that's your life. Do you see how that all fits? Because the message of the gospel is that that's not right. It's actually that you strive with everything that you are not to get God's favor, not to keep God's favor, but because Christ has laid hold of you. You're not striving with everything in you to earn God's favor or keep God's favor. You're striving with everything in you because there was a, a previous effort to pursue you. To change you. It's that God has come in Christ. And that Christ has pursued us and continues to pursue us. And that's why we press on in our lives. You see, we really do need to realize how much we need the Lord Jesus. We really do need to realize that the only way out of discontent is to admit how discontented we are. The secret of contentment that Paul writes about here, the secret of contentment is that contentment is not tied to circumstances. One man has defined, uh, one man has defined contentment this way. It's the best I've ever read, and I want to share it with you. Contentment is having no higher ambition than belonging to God. Contentment is having no higher ambition than belonging to God. And therefore, we are at His disposal in the place that He appoints, in the time that He chooses, with the provision He is pleased to make. Contentment is having no higher ambition than belonging to God and being at His disposal everywhere, all the time, and however he provides. You see, 
to the extent that you understand that, to the extent that you haven't checked out yet, to the extent that you're thinking through your own discontentment, you will begin to understand verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. To the extent you're thinking about your discontentment and to the extent you're recognizing that your contentment is not tied to circumstance, to that extent we will understand verse 13. When Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, Paul is not laying out the formula. He's not saying this is the formula by which you can get a job. The Apostle Paul is not saying, here's the formula for how I can make touchdowns. The Apostle Paul is not saying that the Lord Jesus Christ has made me Superman and I can do anything in my own power. This is not the spiritual alternative to human growth hormone. This is not the spiritual alternative to performance-enhancing drugs. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that this is a declaration. He is saying, Jesus is with me. Jesus is my life. What he is saying is, I can do wealth and I can do poverty. I can speak in front of thousands of people. I can speak to people who have the most power in the world. And I can be in prison. Because there is something deeper that gives meaning to everything. The emphasis here is not on I, it's what I can do. The emphasis in the Apostle Paul from his standpoint is on this is who I am. This is who Jesus has made me. This is where my contentment comes from. That I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I stand firm in all that He is for me. Circumstances don't matter. Let's pray. The Lord our God, we are mindful when we think about Your Word that it exposes an awful lot of what's going on underneath the surface. Lord, we have come here this morning, perhaps many of us are very discontent. No, Lord, would you help us to see that the way out of that is to admit how discontented we are. Would you help us to admit, Lord, that we think contentment is found in more things and better situations. And Lord, especially, would you keep us from using your word to make us feel better about ourselves? Would you cause us to understand that we need to stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because who he is for us trumps every circumstance. And who you are for us, Jesus, enables us to have plenty 
and to have nothing. And that doesn't change us one bit. So Jesus, we pray that you would be our everything. And Holy Spirit, would you not leave us alone until we rest, soul rest, soul satisfaction in the Savior. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.